I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a show entirely dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, Brewsters, and welcome to another sesh on the Hot Four podcast. If you're listening in the UK at the moment at the time of recording this, it is hot, isn't it? Very, very hot. The perfect weather for nice, crisp and cool lagers and juicy, cold IPAs. But do you know what? I've got a real hankering for stouts at the moment, and I haven't got any in my stash, so don't send... A fan, don't send a water cooler, send stouts. Just nice cold stout. I, I don't think you can go wrong with a nice crisp stout, to be honest with you. And, you know, really, sometimes, you know, the other day I had a real, real thirst for a nice cold Guinness. So there you go. Episodes of the Hot Four podcast are going to be a little bit sporadic for a while over the summer period. Here's why. Uh, we're having building work done in our kitchen, which is great because it means that we get to go to the pub and off dinner, always a winner. Poop, poop. But to be honest with you, I'm sick of having builders. Everywhere is disrupted. Like it, there's not room in the house that hasn't got either stuff in it from the kitchen or plaster dust that has blown through despite all the sheets we put out everywhere. So don't really have much of a working space and I particularly don't have a space to go and record the podcast very often, particularly as we head into the summer months when the kids are at home and you'll be able to hear in the background and all that sort of jazz. If you've got kids, you'll know exactly what I mean. In addition, I've got a lot of client work on at the moment. So I've got some exciting projects with a variety of mostly breweries, some non-beer related projects, but mostly within the beer industry, helping to build brands and develop marketing strategies. And as you're probably aware with a podcast like this, it takes a good amount of time to collate and put content together. So the podcast, for me to give it its best, needs just to wind down, I think, over summer, whilst I re-amass some of that content and maybe going forward, do it in batches, like little seasons at a time with breaks in between where I can build that content. It's just, it's not as sustainable as it was being able to hop on Zoom as much anymore and do an hour interview because everyone's busy now things are back open which is amazing but obviously that doesn't help for podcast content uh but i'm committed to the show long term and i just need to find that sustainable way of doing it and to develop the topics that we're covering on the podcast you know when i started the hot four podcast there weren't that many beer podcasts out there and less so ones aimed at the beer industry and there are lots of podcasts out there now and there are lots that are quite similar so I want to make sure with the Hot 4 podcast, I'm bringing good value to the brewing industry here in the UK or wherever in the world you're listening. And I'd I'd love to develop that further afield and with a more of a global audience. Um, So I need to get a plan together and put some content together and to keep the show on the road. But just for for this summer, I just need to pull back, I think, just for a little season, um, just to get a bit more equilibrium. And as if that wasn't enough, I am also developing a business plan, which brings me onto this episode, which is called Is Small the Next Big Thing? As I'm sure you're aware, there's been a lot of brewery closures recently. Probably the most notable ones have been Cheshire Brewhouse, which I'm really sad to see Shane close his brewery down. I loved Shane's beers immensely. And the other, which again, close to my heart, is Kellam Island Brewery, uh, based here in the city of Sheffield, where I live. Chances are, if you listen to this, you know that running a brewery is hard. I saw a question the other day on one of the brewers' Facebook groups that I'm part of that said, and it had a few more expletives than I've relayed here, is every aspect of running a brewery a massive stress right now? To which 53% of you said, hell yes. And a further 15% in some way, shape or form also responded yes through funny responses such as, did I turn the chiller on or try owning an independent pub? So the general consensus is yes, running a brewery is a massive stress. 
I'm well acquainted with the stresses and strain of running a brewery. I was front and centre. I bought the T-shirt, part of the club, job lot with a brewery I worked for 38 hours a day, eight days a week. I totally get it. By the time I left the brewery that I worked for, my mental health was absolutely in tatters. Now, that was to do more with a former employer, not the brewery, who were very good to me. And some shit that went south real fast as a result of working where I worked before I moved on to the brewery. But the endless pursuit of trying to get enough sales to make ends meet, despite making good beer, award-winning beer even, and sorting out no end of cash flow issues, no end of equipment issues, and all the other endless amount of crap that brewers go through, including running a tap room on top of brewing, just about finished me off. And I needed to leave and move on and regain some equilibrium in my life. Which, at long last, I feel like I have done. So why, you might be asking, am I even considering starting another brewery? I remember back in 2015, I think that's when it was, being part of something called the Sheffield Brewers Collective, which was, as the name suggests, a collective, a collective of brewers from Sheffield. It's a bit like the London Beer Alliance, but, you know, smaller in, in Sheffield. And I remember... This is when I, I just started Emmanuel's and I remember sat at this table opposite this guy called Big Mick who was the manager of Kellam Island Brewery. And someone had introduced me and say, no, this is Nick and he's starting his own brewery. And I said to him, what's one bit of advice you'd give me? And he looked me square in the eye and said, don't do it. Now, I'm glad I did do it because I've learned an absolute shed load and I wouldn't be here today doing this and helping other breweries had I not gone through that experience of trying to start my own and working in a brewery that needed help to get back on its feet. The difference this time, coming back to my question, why am I even considering starting a brewery, is that back then I was going in blind. I didn't know what I don't know. Whereas now... I know a whole lot more than I did way back then. I just have this deep pull within me to make and sell my beer, Emmanuel's, even amongst the stresses and strains of the brewery that I worked in, which had the good grace to allow me to brew my own beers as part of my role as the brewery manager and the brewer there. I just felt like a round peg in a round hole when I was doing it. Not just with my beers, but with, with their beers as well. So having acquired the skills and expertise, as well as amassing knowledge over the past eight years, I'm confident that I could make a success of Emmanuel's, but, and here's the but, it can't look like what it looks like for many other breweries out there, i.e. brewing 10 hectolitre or 10 barrel batches, running a small tap room on a weekend, and pull what's left of my hair out of my head, contending for lines and fridge spaces. With a niche brand like mine, I'd have to go small. I'm convinced that small is the next big thing. We're talking brew pub, like 300 litre kit, producing and selling what I have on site, maybe selling some other people's beers too through what I'm calling a beer cafe. Sounds like the dream, doesn't it? However, even this plan is littered with many questions and potential pitfalls. Like on one hand, let's start with the optimistic side first. What if it's so successful, I simply can't keep up with production? I've seen this happen to a friend of mine recently who had a similar operation on the far north of Sheffield that has just upscaled to a five-barrel brewery around the corner from his brew pub for this very reason. So in some ways, that's a great situation to be in. But on the other hand, do I really want the lifestyle attached to running a hospitality venue? Not especially, which means I'd have to employ a general manager, which means that we need a retail unit of a certain size, we can guarantee enough football, yada, 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 yada. 
All these questions don't have straightforward answers. And let's face it, can't really be answered until I actually took a leap of faith and actually did it. And bear in mind, I'd be looking to do this and keep Hot Forward going, the business and the podcast. It's a tall order, which means employing people, building a team and the like. Now, I know there'll be plenty of you out there right now listening who echo Big Mick's statement, shouting in their cars or on public transport or into their mash tons right now, going, don't do it. But I feel deep down, I have to do it. I'd sooner try something and it not work out than live to regret not having ever done anything. There's a proverb in the book of Ecclesiastes that says, those who look at every cloud shall never plant or reap a harvest. And the problem is when you look at every cloud and know all the pitfalls and plenty besides that you've yet to come across, it's much harder to just go for it. And coming full circle, in light of all the brewery closures that have been happening and are inevitably going to happen, do I really want to take that risk? Having spoken to a lot of people behind the scenes, I'm convinced that for many people out there, myself included, small really is the next big thing. But is it even possible to run a small brewery of some description and make a living from it? And by small, I mean anything that's two and a half barrel, that's 409 litres for anyone not listening in the UK. And make a living from that. And again, it would depend on what you mean by a living. Only each individual in their own set of circumstances can answer that question. But is it possible? As part of my research, I reached out to two brewers who are going to introduce themselves and answer some questions I prepared about operating a small brewery with a tap room or brew pub model. Just so you're aware, I have talked to a lot of other people about this. And if I'd have been more organized, I would have recorded those conversations. But here's two that I spoke to specifically with the purpose of publishing this content as a form of podcast. So we've cut out any of the stuff to do with financials that I asked. If you're wanting the answers to those questions, go and have some conversations like I did. I'm still reaching my conclusions on where to go next with Emmanuel's. At the moment, I'm just trying to survive having builders and get back brewing in my cellar where I've been brewing happily for the last couple of years. I hope if you're in a similar position to me, at least this week's episode helps you draw your own conclusions and helps you get ahead in the brewing and be a business. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. Did you know that Hot Forward works with a range of breweries, bars, bottle shops and suppliers from across the world of beer? We offer branding development, marketing support, and business consultancy for everyone from brewery startups to craft beer professionals within the beer industry. Find out more about how we can help you hop forward over on our website at hopforward.beer or connect with us on social media at hopforwardbeers. For now, let's crack open this week's discussion. Um, so I'm David Eastwood. I'm the owner and founder of the South Sea Brewing Company. Um, we are a small microbrewery and uh, taproom business. And uh, we set up about six years ago. And the location is in uh, a castle, a built a, a ancient castle built by Henry VIII uh, in 1544. Um, and that's the home to the small brewery, uh, which is a 350-litre sort of setup, And the pub is about two miles away in another sort of um, area of Portsmouth. And uh, that's a small sort of micro pub um, that has basically all of our beers and guest beers. Uh, so, hi, I'm Matthew Bold. I'm one of the directors at Brewers Beer Co. in Northumberland. Uh, we've got a one-barrel pretty much 200 litre uh, brew kit and run a tap room, tap room off the same site. And, uh, you know, we've been pretty busy so far with it. Uh, been going since 2019. Just talk me through that process of setting it up and how you operate such a small brewery with a 
basically a viable business. I guess it was born out of what we could afford at the time with the smaller kit. Um, Because the tap room was something we wanted to have alongside it from the very beginning. So I suppose if I go back a little bit, there's me and my brother-in-law and my mother and father-in-law who started this this business, Brewers Beer Co. Uh, Brewers is their surname, by the way, that's the the name. Um, And yeah, we were... We were brewing on a grandfather, um, all in one kit in, in, in Chris, who's my, my father-in-law's, uh, little shed outside. And, um, then we start, we moved that over to my brother-in-law's, uh, garage where we actually picked up a, a license to be able to sell the beer that we were producing. So we were doing it out of the garage to begin with, and we were just kind of figuring out a logistical way of how do you go from that to you know something bigger you know where you can make produce more beer and where, where do you go for money what's how, how, do, how trying to figure out how we were going to do it um and in the end chris and maxi my mother and father-in-law they they sold their house to to fund it and we decided to to rather than put all the money into a brew kit to to sort of divide it up and and hopefully create like an all-in-one setup so where we're doing the brewing and we've also got the tap room where we're serving the customer directly on site um and that's what we ended up going for and where the town where we are which is amble in north northumberland it's just a small town there was there's nothing like that you've got to travel yeah travel 30 miles pretty much to be able to get what we drink beers that we were drinking at the time and we just wanted to bring that and we thought that it would be popular if we did to, to to where we live and 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 that's what we ended up going for and the smaller kit has ended up being pretty good for us because it's it allows a lot of control of where our beer i mean we sell the vast majority of the beer ourselves and um, you know it's it's 90 90 i'd say goes through our taps over over a weekend and it you know it's small batch and lets you be quite creative with yeast and hops and different beers. And you get that instant feedback from, from customers of, of what they think of it. And, you know, that beer tends to sell out over the weekend and then you get back to it the week after and you're creating something, you know, maybe slightly different based on feedback or you're brewing the same thing again, based on, on even better feedback. So, so yeah, that's, kind of what the idea of what we were going for and what we what we aimed to set up yeah depending on the beer it tends to be four to five 30 liter kegs that's what the yield is um so it, it's it's not a lot of beer from each batch it's about mm. the working capacity of the fermenters are about 200 liters right i see so and you say you're getting through those kegs in a weekend of certain beers yeah so we well we 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 started with four fermenters that was bought with a kit and about a year ago we got two extra fermenters and the reason for that was that that could kind of, it's what we needed really to keep up with, with demand but it also wasn't going to be it was enough for me to just continue to brew yeah. on that kit you know it's it's not it's it's manageable so it's just a one-man job it's but I'll package three beers a week and we'll tend to go through those three beers on the weekend. And the week after it's packaging three new beers, three brew days, and you'll go through that. And it's, it's quite a, yeah, it's, it's, it's been busier than we expected it to be, which has meant that it's been quite, it is quite an intense turnaround for the beer. What are some of the advantages of operating a small scale brewery like yours, um, particularly with that, micro pub tap room model yeah i'd say i mean one of the biggest advantages from the customer's point of view is um is going to be how fresh the beer is um a small a small batch um doesn't hang, hang around for long so you know we're making hoppy beers and they don't they i don't think they stay you know in keg or in the cellar for more than sort of a couple of weeks so um it's always fresh and uh yeah, small batch also, it's quite good because you can brew things that are a bit different and um, and not have to worry about sitting on to, you know, loads of kegs or having to sort of sell them to other people and convince them to buy something that sounds a bit weird. I think it gives us a lot of control over, over the beer, um, selling it direct and 
quite finicky with it, but it also allows us to make sure that it's it's getting dispensed perfectly and you know it's 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 as it should be and you know it's moving over from you know customers can see where it's been brewed, goes into a cold room and and then they're drinking it. Um, I mean, I would I would I, I would like one day to have a a bit of a larger brew kit. This the size of this one makes it. You know, you'd like a little bit extra if you're running out of beer on a Sunday afternoon and, and the tap room's busy. Uh, it would be a bit better. And, you know, obviously we would like to sell beer more than we do. And at the minute it's it's a keg here and there to, to some local places. But I think for starting out and, and for me, who'd not done a, a huge amount of brewing before this, it's been great doing it on such a small scale and seeing what works and seeing what people enjoy and, been able to do quite a variety of things with it. It's it's allowed quite a lot of flexibility in our business. What disadvantages would you say then on the flip side of that? Um, would you say there is on having that sort of small kit and that tap room set up and what, what things, apart from the stuff you just said about having a bigger kit, would you say you wish were different? Um, I mean, aside from the, uh, aside from not, not being enough beer, I think, you know, you've, your brew days aren't much shorter on the small kit compared to something 10 times the size really so it you know it it you can sometimes feel like you're putting quite a hard quite you're putting in a hard day's graft on it but uh you know that the yield's going to be fairly small at the end um it, it limits us in terms of what we can do we'd love to do beer festivals and and things like that and at the moment it's just not doable we can't dedicate or allocate a, a an amount of beer to something through the summer, which is when they tend to be, because we just we just won't ha- won't have the availability. Right. Um, we don't small pack anything other than, you know, we we've done small batches of dark beer and bottle. But I'd love to have cans of our beer, and and at the minute the size we are, and because to feed the tap room, it, it's just not really viable. Mm. Um, same with cask beer. We only we only put beer into keg at the minute. Uh, and again, I'd, I'd love to put beer. I'd love to spread it out across, you know, a few different types of beer. And uh, yeah, we were not really afforded that luxury on such a small scale. The the biggest um, sort of disadvantage of being small is probably being small. You know, it's not having the space. Um, you know, it, it's it's constantly a juggle of trying to find room for things um buying stuff that you can't get in you know large amounts um so we have to have a a, 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 an extra storage unit from like big yellow self-storage just because everything that arrives on a pallet won't fit in the brewery um and uh and so things like cans that come on a pallet kegs malt um glasses you know stuff like that that pretty much always comes on a pallet um yeah, has to go into storage and then we sort of decant that to the brewery, um, which takes up a bit of time. So yeah, there's a lot of faff um with sort of moving stuff around. That's one that's one disadvantage. I I could probably find a few more. I could totally appreciate that from my scale in my cellar. <laughs> I'm just it feels like I'm playing Tetris all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. How did you go about finding the space you're in? And what advice would you give to anyone looking for a space of their own where setting up a... Would you consider yourself a, a nano brewery, a micro brewery? Um, yeah, I probably would say nano, just because we are so much smaller than what some breweries are called micro. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, most micro breweries are sort of like 10 barrel or so. So, um, yeah, being 1.5 or whatever it is, two, two barrel is is really, really the small, the small end. I know there are some sort of registered breweries that are basically home brewers, but... Um, yeah, we're, I would say, yeah, I definitely call it a nano. Um, in terms of the space, finding the space, I mean, so before I set up the brewery, I was working in a 10 barrel brewery. Um, and I remember the advice that everybody had, um, you know, setting up a brewery was buy the biggest equipment that you possibly can, or, you know, or, or, you know, whatever you can afford, sort of like double it. And that's your sort of the size that you will need to be. And, um, and that was my sort of, you know, thinking for a long time. Um, but yeah, essentially, there was no looking for space to find somewhere to brew. That was the sort of the number one thing. You know, I wasn't looking for equipment first. I was looking for a space first, and um, and the and the equipment sort of followed the size of the space. Um, so yeah, essentially, I was looking for somewhere that wasn't 
a huge industrial unit. And um, the place that we found, Southsea Castle, it was a bit of a chance sort of um, meeting with some people at the council and um, they were looking to sort of reuse some spaces that they had in these old, basically Portsmouth has got lots of old buildings and there's lots of um, historic kind of um, defence uh, buildings like forts and uh, and castles and you know, battle uh, stations or whatever they called. And um, some of them have been reused as sort of art galleries and you know, multi-purpose sort of studios. And Southsea Castle just wasn't really being used at all. It's a wedding venue and there's a cafe in there and that's it. So, um, yeah, it had lots of these little casemates, which are like these sort of vaulted um, uh, archways, quite small ammunition storage rooms. And, um, and yeah, we met with the council at the castle. And as soon as I saw the space, I was like, this is perfect. You know, it's a small unit in a historic building and it's got that kind of, um, you know, a bit like the Bermondsey beer mile, the sort of the archway, small brewery with a, with a, with a footfall. Um, yeah, it looked, it looked perfect. Yeah. Well, we were looking, we were looking for a unit that we would be able to put the smaller kit into, but then something that we could potentially grow into with, with, with a bigger kit, whether it would be five or 10 barrels, something, something larger. Um, and we built the tap room around that, but the the tap room took off in a way that I don't think any of us really expected originally. And I don't think we kind of expected how busy it was going to get or how intense it was maybe going to be. So, I mean, that's now, we, we've actually been looking for a, a different site at the moment where we maybe moved to because the tap it's now become a tap room. Mm. Originally, when we planned it, it was going to be sort of where a bigger brewery would eventually, would eventually grow into it. It's a thousand square foot the the unit, so it's it's not huge, but I mean you you could get a decent sized brewery in there. For us, when we were looking around, it was you know the, the rent was a great price. So and there's been a lot of where it's based in in Armble, There's a lot of uh, new uh, housing estates being built sort of mm. around this industrial estate. So it's it's kind of moving into a bit of a an area where there's quite a lot of people um but there wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot else uh we looked in at places in a, a couple of, of other local towns but but where we were situated there wasn't a huge amount of choice um and yeah we looked at this one and we, we, we thought we, we could make it work um it took quite a lot to to gut it i mean for anyone looking at, at units like this if you're gonna do what we do like drainage is a good thing to look at for the brewery and one thing we learned a little bit too late is that none of the flooring is level at all so um, Mm -hmm. we've got like a full length drain in in the unit but uh, it sort of goes up and down like a roller coaster a little bit so it's a bit of a nightmare Um, yeah I think for anyone looking to do it it's I guess we could just sort of envision that you know when we looked at it it's not too far from a road it's the sun shines on it all afternoon. We kind of thought like we can make this look prettier than it initially does. And yeah, that's took quite a lot of hard work to get it looking like it does now. I mean, this is a hard question to answer, I guess, but like, how would you envision it happening in a more urban area? Um, I think it's, it's, it's definitely helped that when we set up, you know, craft beer wasn't really common in, in our town and, it was nothing like this and it was it was more traditional pubs and and restaurants that's what's in the town um i think it can transition well into into a city area i think um if you're confident in in the beer you're producing and you you're going to set up an environment i think for us we've set up an environment that people want to come to and it's not just people who are into craft beer it's not just you know it's a it's a broad sort of spectrum of of, of locals as well as visitors that that come to us and i think that's because of the environment we've we've created here it's uh you know we have food vans that come thursday to sunday and again that brings a different dynamic and we do you know we can have we have music on sometimes and we do things like that and yeah i think we've created something that's not just for the hardcore craft beer drinker but you know can can offer something for a few different people and 
and, and encouraging of families and stuff like that. So I, I think a model like that can work. I think that could work anywhere if you can get it right um, with what you're bringing for people. Mm. And if, if they want to come, definitely. In terms of financing the firstly the brewery and then the brew pub how how did you go about doing that have you had to take out loans or did you like have a wad of cash somewhere or what was the deal with that no it was um it, it was very very small amount of money i um it it was essentially i built i mean the rent being 300 quid a month meant that i didn't really have much of an overhead um on the rent so i was able to buy some very cheap um, stainless steel tanks, which are um, from Italy. They're about uh, 200 euros each and modified those so that they were sort of brewing vessels. So that, that was essentially my homebrew kind of um, mentality of, of, of getting some stock pots. They were just sort of big stock pots and, um, and just uh, putting on some fittings. So yeah, the brewery itself cost less than about 2,000 pounds. Um, and that was including four fermenters. <laughs> Where did you get the fermenters from? Because I saw those online. Uh, the ones that I had at the, originally were, again, from that Polzinelli. I think you might have yeah, heard of them. Got my yeah. boss from there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you can't really beat them for the, the sort of the price of the stainless. So, um, yeah, they were from there originally. Um, so, yeah, they were you know not not very expensive at all. But no, they didn't have a seal or anything like that. So um in turn everything from those was going into into cask uh or keg to be conditioned in in the in the package which was um which was fine but it added a bit of time and uh and then yeah um i think it was about it must have been about four or five years yeah about i'd say about a year and a bit after after um after using those we upgraded to some uh uni tanks uh that came from china and that was a big um, step up in terms of like quality and time and repeatability and all sorts of things. And I didn't need finance for those because they were ridiculously cheap. So how, how do you split your batches between kegs and uh, cans? Because I know you've got like a, is it a wild gosling? Is that, that's like the mini wild goose canning line? Yeah, the, the small, the small canning. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the canning machine that we got, the, um, yeah, the wild goose uh, gosling is their smallest machine. Um, I mean, it's great, but it's um, it's not needed <laughs> as much as it used to be. I mean, we bought it basically because of uh, the pandemic. You know, it was a way of putting our product out there without needing the pub. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was great. You know, pretty much everything went through the canning machine, went out to customers through the home deliveries and things like that. But now our um, pub is reopened. I'm only ever doing maybe every fourth batch into cans. Um, yeah, so we get like 750 cans per batch. Um, and sometimes if it's, a, if it's a beer, which is like a stout or the black IPA, things that don't sell quite as quick as sort of like hoppy New England pails, um, I'll probably only do those once every, um, maybe even do half a batch every few batches. So it's, it's nowhere near as much as it, you know, was when it was being used for pretty much every beer. Yeah. So is your churn rate mostly through keg then? Through your it's type all rate? keg. Yeah, we, we ditched casks um, for our beers uh, quite a while ago. And was that a conscious choice because of um, quality or freshness or what, why was that? Um, essentially, when you're buying casks from other breweries, um, they are ridiculously cheap compared to the same beer in keg. And um, yeah, it just seemed a bit weird that we were putting the same beer into a cask and charging a lot less for it because there was a sort of a glass ceiling on cask. It's a bit, um, yeah, it's a bit frustrating, really, that cask is seen as sort of like a cheap version of the same beer. Um yeah, I mean, and also because the pandemic, you know, we yeah. opened this pub, uh, you know, it was, we didn't, we we nearly managed to celebrate one year, but we were in lockdown just on the, by the time we celebrate, you know, by the time we hit the one year anniversary of opening the pub. So, you know, that, um, that kind of made our decisions on a few things that we've just carried on doing, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's insane, isn't it, with cask, uh, particularly with, you know, 
the move towards keg beers for a lot of breweries and pubs even um choosing keg over cask that cask isn't be still isn't being seen as the premium product it's still very much like viewed at least here in the uk as like the the working class drink and therefore mm. the price should be reflected that yeah, way yeah. it's if you think about all the cellaring that's involved then and the the quality of it um particularly when it's you know served well it really should ought to be the premium product uh, premium yeah. price and we do i mean we do sometimes get in um casks from you know like um breweries like cloudwater or um you know northern monk or whatever that are really really good quality beers and we don't you know we don't reduce the price um just because it's in a cask we still charge the same um uh you know markup the gross profit on the cask is the same as the um as the keg um it's just that it always seems to come in slightly cheaper but mm. every now and every now and again you do get a pint uh, you know on the on the board about you know five or six quid and um and that'll be because it's from a brewery that knows the true value of cask and most people you know will pay it i mean we've got a wander beyond um cask on at the moment which is lovely and i think that's about yeah five fifty a pint and people are loving it but yeah it just seems as a business it didn't really make sense for us to put it into a cask and um and also the um the cask cleaning uh part of it was taking up quite a long time uh, as the kegs we get them in uh clean with keg star with the cask thing is that just because of storage of you know like the, the beer not going off i mean if you're getting through it fairly quickly or is it a price point thing or what's the decision behind that it's actually just originally the way we set up fully for keg and nothing with cask originally um we've now got one cask line but when we started out, um, it was just we were going to be packaging beer into keg, and that's to begin with, anyway. And that's that's what we went for. And now, you know, I, we could set up for cask, but yeah, it's just the the, the keg. We fly through keg beer. The customers kind of they know what they like now, and they they kind of like what we do. And yeah, yeah it's uh, I mean, like I say, we've got the one cask line, and um, We've had a couple of guest beers and things like that on, and I've messed around with like with packaging a little bit of beer in a cask, and uh, it's something I'd like to do more of. But it's uh, yeah, it's just at the minute we're sort of in this routine of keg the beer goes on the on the lines, and Monday morning you're looking at doing it for, for, for three new beers out of fermenters. Right. So how, how many people does the business employ? Um. So. It's me and my wife are the directors, and we sort of pay ourselves small amounts. Um, and then we've got five part-time staff. Uh, actually, we've probably got about seven at the moment. But you know, part-time staff—that's that's the biggest. Um, you know, that's the biggest sort of uh, part of the business, which is like hard to run. So, um, yeah, keeping keeping employees. Um, that are reliable for the pub um without having a manager i, I guess is, is is you know if you employed a manager you'd probably sort of say that's their that's their job but um but yeah we keep it fairly um we you know we, we do manage it ourselves as well so yeah about five or six um part-time staff seem to handle it pretty well but at the minute it's it's based mainly around the tap room and, and how busy the tap rooms ended up getting but there's four of us so uh, it's it's me it's my mother and father-in-law chris and maxine and then it's my wife louise uh, so there's four of us working pretty much full time in the uh, in the business at the moment so i mean that brings me nice into the next question like how does running a small brewery fit in with your lifestyle and you know do you, do you still have time for other things and much flexibility or is it like pretty all-consuming because i know I'm, having run brewery for several years, which had a tap room, but that wasn't open all the time. You know how how consuming that was to run a production brewery with a tap room that's open maybe two weekends a month, let alone every weekend and maybe some weeknights and stuff. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty all encompassing in terms of in terms of lifestyle. But I think a lot of that's to do with it's me and my wife doing it. So uh, over the seven days, there'll be days where you know I'm maybe brewing in the morning. Uh, she comes in in the early afternoon to do a tap room shift and we swap over and 
we've got a, a young family as well. So there's that, that to consider, but you know, I worked in retail before I did this, um, and, and a, a short spell at another brewery, but you know, I, I worked nearly 10 years in retail and yeah, I, even though this takes up a lot of my time, even when I'm not at work, I wouldn't change what I do. I wouldn't go back to doing previously what I, what I was doing if I didn't have to, uh, yet. It can take you. I guess we just try and allocate a little bit of time, you know, on a on a Sunday or whenever, you know, where we we put down our phones. We don't necessarily talk about work or think about work. And I think if you can try and get that right, it uh, makes it a bit easier because it can become this this twenty four hour thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with with social media and tap rooms up in five days a week. So I was going to ask what de- what days you open. Yeah, we do Wednesday to Sunday. So um, we don't open for huge periods of time. So four till eight, Wednesday and Thursday, uh, and then four till 10, Friday, Saturday. Right. And then one till six on a Sunday. So you know, we're still trying to get that life balance back a little bit by, you know, you know we, we could open till midnight every night. We could open it at lunchtime. But yeah, we, there is an element of, you know, we still want to be able to spend, you know, time with family and, and be able to do other things. And it's got to work around the brewery as well. You know, um, you know, I can be brewing on a Thursday morning before the tap room opens and a Friday morning and packaging beer and doesn't always go perfectly. So you kind of want that later opening time to, to make sure you can get sorted out and cleaned up. And yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it does depend on what you sort of want to do want out of your sort of lifestyle if you do want if you want to have flexibility um don't do it (laughs) um because because you know like i mean as soon as you're as soon as you're sort of brewing i mean we've only got four fermenters and i'm brewing once once or twice a week um and then another day packaging uh and another day you know sort of cleaning or whatever so i'm probably spending about three solid days a week at the brewery plus they're pretty much every day doing checks or dry hopping or whatever so i'm down at the brewery um every yeah pretty much every day you know even on the weekends there's no there's no sort of time off so um that and that commands you know that really does sort of like make my uh my week um quite sort of like you know fixed in a way so i'm not i wouldn't say i'm flexible at all um but the rest of the time so like when i'm not when i haven't got a day in the diary that i'm you know brewing or or packaging because i kind of know which days those are going to be um then i'm just sort of like you know uh yeah like today going picking up stuff from 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 storage or uh fixing stuff at the pub you know there's a lot of um there's a lot (laughs) there's a lot of like little odd jobs that need to get done at the pub um the staff do most of it, um, but uh, there are things like the ice machine stopped working, um, so I had to fix that. And the uh, something in the cellar might not have been, you know, connected properly because the staff don't—they're um, not the best with John Guest fittings, I found. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, something might be leaking or whatever. So, so there's a, there's a lot of little jobs that need to be done at the pub um, on the sort of the day-to-day basis, but the majority of it is taken care of by either the staff or um, or my wife. My wife mainly does sort of like the rotoring and the um, and the uh, payroll and all the sort of admin of keeping the staff kind of or keeping the pub going without needing to be behind the bar. Um, but every now and again, we get called in to you know cover, cover a shift because staff are quite unreliable. Um, not all of them, but some of them. You know, if if, if they're if they're doing part time work around around you know other things, then um, then sometimes they can't come in. So we end up uh, working behind the bar, which I quite like. I don't mind doing it every now and again. I just don't want to be doing it every every night. Yeah. It also help. It also helps that we. I live um, about a two minute walk from the pub. Right. So you know, we, we we did choose this 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 location um, because it was close to our house, and we knew the area. We knew the the sort of the market, as it were. Um, and it def- definitely helps to be in walking distance. If someone says, um, you know, there's there's a guy here who's uh, asking about something or other, or or, or, if, or even, I mean, it's never happened, but if there's ever been any trouble, 
um, I'm never that far away to to come down and and <laughs> sort things out. Yeah, bust some heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've just got two more questions then. Um, how much longevity and scalability do you think there is in your business? Um, scalability, I would say that's kind of gone out the window. I've, I mean, at one point, you know, before the pandemic, we were thinking, oh, let's grow the business. Um, let's have another pub. But, you know, I, I think my mindset has changed completely um, in terms of, you know, growth is not what I want. Stability is is, is what I want. And, um, and, yeah, I think, you know, trying to grow a brewery is um, – it's kind of like the temptation that's always, always on there. You know, always, people are always saying, "Oh, so and so wants your beer. He's, he's trying. He really wants some beer of yours." And and uh, and the temptation to think that you know, because people want the beer, you've got to grow the brewery, and um, and you know, you need more, more, more. I think that is a trap because you can end up um, chasing your tail in terms of the scale of you know, the the, the brewery size is bigger. So you've got more, um, you know, it's taking more time and more, uh, you know, um, staff. <laughs> you need to have someone else doing it as well. And then you're you're no better off than if you were small and just selling it yourself, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, I think that in terms of scaling the, the brewery, um, I'm quite happy. I'm quite comfortable with that size um, as long as the pub doesn't, <laughs> and unless, unless history repeats itself and uh, another pandemic you know comes around where we have to close i don't think there's any um you know there's any reason why we would want to open up another pub it's um it's quite it's quite manageable as it is i think that's the that's the key thing is that we you know we don't employ a manager and we um and, I, and we don't employ a brewer uh so you know, we have to keep things manageable. And what about longevity? Like, you know, I know, I know, it's a crystal ball, and like you say, you know, there could be an alien invasion or World War Three by the end of this decade, or maybe both. Um, mm. But like, in terms of longevity, like, how, how do you at least perceive it kind of panning out in the long run? Um, I think my my point of view of longevity is how long I can sort of uh, keep interested in it and keep. Um, you know, relying on it for for our for our income, family income, and I think the only real, I mean, there might be changes in the market. Things might, you know, pubs might not be as popular. People might not you know, want to drink craft beer or whatever. I, I don't know what's gonna what's gonna happen in the future. But in terms of you know what's happening now, and sort of extrapolating that over the, over the next few few years, um, the only thing that I'm really focused on is basically making sure that all the processes. Um, just improving processes basically to make, make life easier um, and to, uh, to stop having to, you know, think things that um, should be simple um, are sort of, you know, made sure that there's a process. Essentially it's basically making systems. That's the way I see the sort of the longevity of the business. And that, and that should allow, allow us to have a bit more. Um, uh, yeah. Longevity, I suppose. Yeah. And then the last question then is what advice yeah, there is you, there is one there is one other thing I'd say about longevity is essentially um you know like there are a lot of pubs that destroy marriages and um and businesses that destroy marriages so you know I think that you've got to have a really good um understanding with your partner um whether that's a business partner or you know your personal partner I think you've got to have a really good understanding of what you're kind of doing it for because Otherwise, it is like, you know, you're putting in huge amounts of hours into a sort of a passion project. It's got to be, you've got to see it as a business and, a, and an income. As a, you know, it's got to pay, it's got to pay your, your lifestyle. Um, otherwise, you know, you're going to question like whether or not um, it's worth it. And you'll probably end up hating the business if it doesn't, if it doesn't really, you know, provide a, a decent income. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do. I do think about that and... I think doing it the way we do now um, wouldn't be something I'd want to do five years down the line, ten years down the line, uh, for all the you know the, the negative reasons. Basically, it, it, it's intense, and you know we don't we don't produce a lot. So uh, I'd, I'd like to scale up, and I'd like to to have a bigger brew kit for that exact reason. I think the tap room can become. 
you know, this this can be a thing indefinitely, I hope. It's become a bit of a hub where we are now, and uh, hopefully that's something that continues. Uh, the brewery side, though, would, yeah, would be something that I'd definitely like to to increase the output on. Yeah. So have, have you, are you making plans for doing that at the moment? Or? Yeah, we have. Yeah, so we've, we've been looking at, at hopefully another unit on. We're on a, a row of units, so hopefully another one on our row maybe. And, you know, we don't want a massive jump up in size. A five or ten barrel kit would be would be perfect for us and, you know, would allow us to put beer in a can and put beer in a cask and move kegs around a little bit and send stuff out and maybe not have to run such an intense schedule week to week, which is what it is now. It's it's sort of, you know, trying to take time off can be difficult when you know you've got to get beer packaged for the weekend because you don't really have anything else. Uh, so yeah, hopefully you know, one day that'll, that'll, that'll happen and alleviate some of those stresses. I think, um, you know, when I um, left Sheffield Brewery, you know, it, it was it was sucking so much out of me and out of our relationship that um, you know I just I I felt like I had to step back. That was the main reason um, mm. f- from from doing it. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm glad I did really because it helped me get some perspective of the the important things in life. So I kind of mm. hope going forward with manuals that it's um, you know I'm in a much better place now. Yeah, if you're I mean if you're if you're um... You know, if your partner likes likes going on holidays um, at certain times of the year, and if your or if your partner likes the idea of having you know um, weekends away around her job, because that's the that's the thing which um, which I think a lot of people strive for is like everyone else is doing weddings at the weekends or going to you know um, Spain uh, you know in, in, in the summer or whatever, and and I think that you you kind of got to you got to sort of forget that if that's the if that's the um, or forget the biz that that this kind of business if that's your sort of um, your desire because it's just never going to work. You're not going to be able to leave the brewery, um, well, or unless you just don't brew for certain periods of the year, which is not ideal. Um, and but also, you know, you, it's hard to to leave a pub with just one, one. You know, let's say you have a manager, it's hard to not be on call let's say in case things do go wrong uh, you know, there's only a certain level of things that a manager can do so um what one bit of advice then would you give essentially to someone like me looking to start up like a brew pub or a similar smallish brewery with a tap room um I, I think just sort of get a feel for what you're gonna offer to to, to the customer to to the people who you want to come because you're going to rely on people coming sort of week in, week out, a core of people. But, you know, whatever beers you're particularly interested in brewing, just, you know, double down on them, on those styles. And don't be afraid to, you know, even if it's not the beer that maybe people are used to, I think trying to educate people a little bit. And because you're there in the tap room, it's it's a lot easier to do that by giving Mm. people a try of something or talking them through it and, you know, some people just need to be told through why a beer is hazy and you know that's you know, they're, they're totally fine with it now and yeah i think i think if, if this is something like what we do is something that you want to do i definitely think you know the smaller scale can definitely help because you're very hands-on with it and if you're planning on doing the taproom side as well you, you just get that instant feedback from customers who are coming back and getting a second pint or, or changing it up with something different so I think the the one of the biggest um, sort of like things that we've learned that is that the location is very important um, for a a small pub. Um, they don't work everywhere um, because if you're in an area that's got lots of uh, lots and lots of you know decent craft beer uh, venues, I think you know you've got to you've got to do something to stand out. And I think one of the biggest sort of reasons for our sort of success is that we've got a really good um, uh, tapped room location and brewery um, sort of like uh, reputation, I guess. Um, and I think that is 
you know that I wouldn't I wouldn't say that every sort of like small brewery tap room um, would work if it was just you know you, you can't just you can't just put them anywhere. I think that I think you need to think quite carefully of somewhere where there's a lot of people um, needing that kind of thing. Um, because if you look around, I mean, especially in Portsmouth, there's quite a lot of of small breweries. I mean, there's two brew house and kitchens, which are like the brew pub um, sort of chain. And, um, you know, they're not too dissimilar in terms of the size of us, um, in, you know, each each one. But they've got nowhere near the sort of, um, I guess, reputation. They, they're not, I mean, they're, they're obviously a big brand, but they don't have the, you know, sort of... Um, the credibility for for um, you know craft beer, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm not too sure if they. I'm not too sure if it, that's 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 the one piece of advice I would give. But it's definitely something which has helped, or well, it's made me think. If we were going to do this all over again, I wouldn't be able to just pick it up and put it anywhere. I'd have to think. I'd have to know the area, know the know the market, and make sure that it was definitely um, similar to what we've got here before sort of like you know picking it up and moving it. There's one other thing which I I don't know whether or not you're going to mention with other people, but I was thinking about you know small breweries. I think um, I think there's there's quite a lot to be said for if you've got if you're really good at branding, um, and you're you know because a lot of people set, w- want to have a brewery. Um, I think there's two two kinds of people that set up breweries. There's home brewers who like to brew, and there's um, and there's people who are really sort of into the the beer in terms of like branding. And want to see their beer, you know, sort of on on the shelves next to others. And if you do, if, if people are good at branding, um, they can be a small brewery um, without a tap room, and they can just sell everything direct, um, you know, via the internet or whatever. I think I think that you don't you don't have to have a a pub um, if you're able to sell all of your output. Um, you know, directly to customers. I'm just thinking of breweries where they've got a, you know, people basically every beer that they make will get snapped up in an instant, um, and that if you can charge, you know, a decent price um, selling direct to customer, and you've got a queue of them, then you don't need an outlet, a physical outlet, and um, and you can still brew and make, you know, small batches on a on a commercial sort of um, level. I think our branding has come in much more importantly with in things like social media and when we post and the interaction side of it and the website and yeah, in the tap room itself, uh, the branding can get a little bit lost. Like you say, I think that can be true. Uh, we don't need to rely on it to necessarily sell the beer. Um, but I mean, our branding, we're really happy with it, especially the sort of core, core logo and stuff like that. And, Again, I think that gives us a bit of a of, of a presence on social media, and you know, you see that, and you maybe notice, or hopefully, you know, or remember if you've seen Brewers Beer before that that's that's the logo, that's what it is. Definitely in the, I mean, in the tap room. I mean, it also means you don't need to always get a lot of pump clips printed for every single new beer, especially when there's only four kegs of it. Yeah. So uh, that makes it a little bit easier. Sometimes we can just, you know throw up a recipe and brew it and it's just called whatever and again there's only four kegs of it so it, yep. it goes but yeah it's something it's something we've always you know we've wanted the branding to be good so we went in earlier sean and 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 you know got our branding done and uh, we're really happy with it but yeah in, in the tap room itself i mean obviously you want it if you're planning on selling merch or glassware or anything like that uh it's it's going to come in handy to have it looking pretty good well i think i think um you know the way that i i started um was that we did you know before we had the pub we opened the brewery at the weekends and um and where the brewery is being you know based in a castle that has footfall of tourists and in the summer there's all kinds of things that go on um down by the on the seafront um we were open 12 till four Saturday and Sunday. And that was it. And that was the whole, the whole business was basically just brewing and selling at the weekends. Um, but what we noticed was that 
it was great for the sunny day, you know, that, those few weeks of <laughs> summer, it was fantastic. You know, we were selling every single drop of beer that I could brew. Um, but as soon as it got to, um, yeah, the winter or January sort of time, um, it just wasn't worth opening. So we stopped doing that. And that's when we would sell beer to other, other places. Um, and bottling, which is an absolute ball ache if you're doing it by hand, um, just, uh, just sort of like took all the fun out of it because we were selling it to trade, um, you know, to other, to other places that just wasn't really worth, you know, once you've had that full price, you know, um, thing you, you get you're getting the you're getting the full price no discount you know no one's you're you, you're making the beer and you're selling it for the rate that people buy beer for when they go to the pub and once you've had that you're not really i would never want to go back to selling it for half the price or less than half the price of what people would actually be willing to pay and so we were looking at ways of being able to continue that's the reason why we opened the pub um, because we wanted to still get that same, you know, um, no discount uh, price for our beer, um, but uh, all year round. And obviously, opening up a pub is a bit more than just sort of, you know, opening all year round. It's it, it's a full, you know, the, the pub needs more staff. It means you know having more overheads and all sorts of things. So that's um, that's the reason why we sort of <laughs> did that route and, 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 but it's been, but it's been successful. You know, we've had, um, we've had, yeah, well, three years of, of the pub, but probably only one in reality. Um, and it's, uh, and it's, and it's worked really well. You know, it's, it's definitely been manageable and it has, you know, you were talking about the, the, the sort of longevity of it a bit, the way that we do manage it, it, ha- it does feel like this could go on without us needing to change everything. So, um, the only thing that we've just got to be aware of is that there's going to be a constant, you know, turnaround of staff. We probably find that staffing is the hardest sort of part because you do, you rely on them and, um, and you've got to be aware that at any one point they might just say, I've had enough of working behind a bar and you kind of need to sort of expect that at some point, they're not going to be, you know, as much as they have been loyal for us, you know, most of our, employees we've had from 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 the start um but you know their lifestyle can change and all sorts of things so you know that's that's the one thing that sort of makes it feel like it's not quite as um hands-off as it could as we would like it because we've always got to sort of like you know be aware that staff turnaround is 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 you know always going to be in the back and in the in the in the picture yeah um, but yeah, it's it's difficult really to give to give you advice like what you want to do because I think that um, you know brewing you've got you've got the the branding stuff going on so it is you know I, I don't know if you if you need because um, that that's the other that's the other thing which I would <laughs> I would say is that one of the great things about having a pub is the no, you don't really need or having a nano brewery with a with a with a pub outlet, you don't really need branding at all um, because technically, the, if the beer is good enough, it should speak for itself. We we sell our IPA uh, more than any other beer here, uh, and or, or IPA and Parallel more than any other beer. And those two beers, I don't. Some some of the people who drink it all the time probably wouldn't really know what the pump clip even looks like because it's just mm. on a board. You know, it's on a, we've got a projector with an untapped menu. Um, there's a tiny little, you know, circular pump clip yeah. on, the, on, the, on the back bar. If I said to them, you know, what does the Casemate IPA um, pump clip look like? I'm, 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 and some of them might know, but I reckon a lot of them would probably be like, oh, I never really thought about it. Because the branding is only really important when you've got to get it away from people who have, or, or get it out to people who haven't tried it before. Mm. That's that. That's very interesting. I'd never, I'd not really thought about that, because I guess because I'm, I'm so heavily invested in branding both my own and other people's. You know, my my nose is so up against the glass in regards to brands and branding, that yeah, to take a step back and think, it's not really going to matter that much in that environment. And and also and also reputation because 
um, you know, when we when we're buying in beers from other places, um, you know, you, you're kind of taking a punt that they that they will sell based on the fact that people will either know how good the beer is or the name or something about it will be enticing for them to go for that rather than um, you know one of the ones they know. So, you know, it, it's. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, we've got, we, we do have the cans. So we do have a designer who designs all of our pump clips and, and, uh, and, you know, he's an illustrator. So it's quite, it's quite sort of like a, you know, big project. I'm just looking at our pump clips now and they're all quite sort of, you know, intricate and interesting designs. Um, but I think if your business wasn't, or if your brewery, because there are a lot of breweries out there with pretty, you know, like clip art, you know, whatever branding they're just you know using, yeah. using whatever, and and that's and that's fine as long as people aren't because you know I would if I if, if the beer is really good, you don't really need to spend much more time on it than that. Mm. It is um, it is a tricky one, but I think that when it comes to uh, you know when it comes to um, having having a bar as long as your beer is the freshest if you're making a hoppy beer and it's it's really fresh and you're hopping it to a decent level that people expect for a, you know for an IPA you're um you know you're that's going to be the one that people drink over and over again unless they're lager drinkers yeah. <laughs> well it's that time again at the bar for another week of the hot four podcast don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.